You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Thank you, Mel. Good to hear those words from God's Word. And we continue this morning to study God's Word on this day and invite you to turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 11, 11, 11. Romans 11. On your way there, I have one picture from last week. I did get it in from Tatum. I don't think Tatum is here today, but Tatum drew this. We are yours. And I think that was the last song we sung last, last week, but also this church of God's people here. This, we as a remnant chosen, even us, are chosen by God's grace, his elect here. Um, and so Tatum caught that. So thank you, kids, for drawing your pictures and... Uh, Appreciate one from Tatum. Don't get one from him all that often, so it's great. Well, we're in uh, Romans 11, verse 11. I want to read through verse 16. Let's listen first to God's Word, and then study and think on it. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Let's pray once again. Father, as we come to this particular section of your word, it is not a mistake, not an accident. We're here. By your sovereign mercy and grace, you brought each one here today, in this room even, and maybe listening later to this, Lord, to, to hear from your word. And that's what we want to do. It's your word. It's your trustworthy word, preserved over the centuries and years and years, millenniums of years, for our good, for your glory. So guide us, Lord, to glory in the words before us. Train us, teach us from it, correct us. Rebuke us, Lord, where it's needed. And we trust that your spirit lead our time through this place in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you had to generalize our study, if you're visiting with us, welcome. But uh, We've been studying here particularly chapters 9 through 11 of Romans and our whole walk through Romans in the past year and a half now, I think it is. But Romans 9 through 11, Paul has this genuine concern. He's got a longing for his own people, for Israel in the flesh, and a, and a really longing for them to abandon this pursuit of righteousness based on works and believe, rather, in Christ, who is the end of the law. And these have really been chapters kind of going back and forth. There's Israel, there's the people, Israel, the flesh, then there's there's true Israel, spiritual Israel, you might call them, who believe in Christ. And there's the Gentiles, those not a people who God is calling a people, or God is 
calling to himself as children of God as well. Our section today, I think in, in some ways, is transitional from where we were last week in verses 1 through 10 to where we'll go in verse 17 and then following. By Paul beginning, I think, to speak specifically to the Gentiles of his audience, who perhaps by this point, maybe in this text, maybe by this time, these Gentiles are starting to think, surely they had an upper hand in salvation. Surely they are on better ground than the Jews who have, who have, for all purposes, seem to have rejected Christ, the Messiah. Imagine thinking of this church even in Rome. So it's, it's helpful to think Paul's writing this letter to Rome, and I think there was this mixed group of both Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile. Consider that maybe in our sanctuary, just for a visual, concerning, think of half of you guys, maybe as the Jewish audience of Paul's writing, and, the, and then the Gentiles. And, and if the Gentiles are starting to go, well, yeah, I think them as a, peop- as a whole, they've rejected, and think of all the persecution, we'll, we'll look at that a little bit. But what about them? And you can kind of see the division maybe, maybe starting to develop even in the church. And so Israel seemed to be maybe marked out by the Gentiles as kind of uh, ones that they, they want to be against. Rather, it was the Gentiles that Israel had looked at as really unclean and dogs. We'll see that as well. And so maybe Paul is writing to help with this. Maybe the tension that's going on here. Of course, by verses 17 through 24, we're going to look at in two weeks from now, Paul's going to warn the Gentiles of their arrogance. Don't be arrogant. But here in verses 11 through 16, It seems that Paul begins here to offer for your thoughts, for your considerations, consider both Israel's trespass, their their sin really of unbelief, and then what their full inclusion means. Consider these things. In, In essence, don't discount, don't rule out what God has in store through this very people. Perhaps verse 11 is the question, Maybe on everyone's mind, both Jew and Gentile, and it relates even to verse 1 of chapter 11. So look at verse 11, just the first part of it, where Paul says, so I ask. You know, he had asked in verse 1, it's got to reject his people. Here he says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? The they of Israel. And Paul says, by no means. Israel had stumbled. We saw that even last week. Even for starters, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, He talks about them, talking to the men of Israel, saying, you crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. That's quite the stumbling there. And reading further into Acts, if you read Acts and you think about kind of this stumbling and jealousy and these things, you start to see these things come out even from Acts, where we see certain Jews are saved. There's a salvation going on. And then we also, almost on the tails of it, we see jealous Jews who don't like that this message of Christ is being proclaimed. They want to persecute the ones bearing this message of Christ. And that's good to keep in mind in all of this, in all of the stumbling, that Christ is at the heart of this stumbling. It's not just Israel making some mistakes. It's rejecting in unbelief the only one who can save them from their sin and grant righteousness to them. The only one is Jesus. And there's this stumbling, and it's over this this stone, this Jesus. And so... In verse 11, the logical conclusion might be, 
Israel, yes, they've stumbled, they have fallen. But lest either Gentile or Jew reading this letter to Rome would conclude that if you've got the last name of Israel, I know that's not their last name, but if that's your, if that's your name attached to that, that you're kind of a foregone, you're a loss, Paul says, by no means. This is not the case. It's not the case that they have fallen completely. He's already given some reasons, too, that we looked at last week in verses 1 through 6. Number one, Paul himself is an Israelite, and he knows Christ. So, not all. So, Paul is an Israelite. Yes, once persecuting the church, now proclaiming the message to the church of the gospel. Number two, we saw God has preserved a remnant chosen by grace. There's this remnant language. But it would seem that a third reason comes through here, the second part of verse 11 and what follows. Here of God's, and this is kind of the mystery, this is God's sovereign purposes for both the Gentiles and for the Jews through the Gentiles. Look at how Paul puts it in the second part of verse 11 here. He says, rather through their, Israel, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And Paul doesn't sugarcoat the stumbling of Israel. He says they have indeed. What have they done? Rather through their trespass. They have trespassed. One, one place dictionary defines this as one making a false step so as to lose footing. Or you think of trespass as a violation of moral standards, an offense, wrongdoing, sin. And then the same definition takes us to Israel here and how it relates, relating trespass really to Israel's unbelief. I'd say if we think of what's the trespass of Israel, what is it? And I think at the heart here is unbelief. In fact, you get to verse 20, Paul's going to say even branches were broken off because of their unbelief. I think that's a similar idea. So the problem with Israel is her problem of unbelief. Unbelief where? Not just not believing, but not believing Messiah, Christ Jesus the Lord. There's a trespass. But again, in God's sovereignty, the story doesn't end there because it's precisely, it's through that, rather through their trespass, that salvation is coming to the Gentiles. We might ask here, was this kind of a, maybe this was an oops moment by God. I mean, maybe orig- originally Israel was to believe. That was the plan, but since many did not, and I'm speaking, you know, facetiously here, maybe God just didn't want to waste the cross, and so he went to the Gentiles. I mean, Israel's not really believing, so there's a bigger group here, I'll go to them. To quote Paul, what would Paul say? By no means. No. It was a sovereign plan, though it's, to us, we go, what, what is going on here? Jesus himself, remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28. What does he say about making disciples? Make them of all nations. So salvation is a global p- plan, and yet it's through a particular nation, through Israel, and through their trespass, that salvation goes out to the Gentiles. There's... there's links there, purpose. But, but even that salvation of the Gentiles, notice what also? It doesn't just end there. It's got a sovereign purpose back in making Israel jealous. So in God's sovereignty, he can take Israel's trespass, 
use it for the salvation of the nations, and also make Israel jealous. And I think we just say with the title of this series through 9 through 11, how inscrutable are God's ways. And they're more inscrutable than just even, even that. He is God. He alone is God. Now we're going to look at jealousy again in verse 14, look at it a little more in depth, but let's move on to verse 12. Paul continues to build momentum here. Look at verse 12. Now, if their trespass means, kind of equations here almost, their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Again, you see it. Israel's trespass, their failure, a failure to embrace Christ, to believe in him. It doesn't result in failure in the world, but rather what? In riches to the world, riches for the Gentiles. And I think these riches, to think on those, are gospel riches. Not monetary, but the riches of Christ. Those riches to the world, to the Gentiles. Christ being proclaimed. Now it's hard to distinguish here. You've got riches for the world and then riches for the Gentiles. Are those two different aspects? Other commentators don't see much of a difference here. I'm only speculating maybe. Perhaps in one way, the riches for the world are this kind of a general blessing to the world in what? What's a blessing of a nation that fears God and knows his salvation of Christ? You you can think of the blessing that that brings in the world, kind of like that idea of lights shining in the darkness. But then I think the meaning as we think of riches for the Gentiles, I think it narrows down to these gospel riches that come to the Gentiles. Again, the riches of Christ himself. Paul takes all of this, all these riches, trespass equals riches, failure means riches, and he comes and concludes, if these trespasses equal these riches, the phrase here, how much more will their full inclusion mean? I take this here, full inclusion, I take this to mean the full number of Israel to be saved. Though in saying that, what's the full number? How many, so on and so forth, I'm not totally clear. That won't surprise you as we've worked through Romans 10, 11, or even 9, whatever, not totally clear. In verse 25, we see a partial hardening hardening has come upon Israel there, it says that, until the, you kind of see maybe similar wording, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I don't think that means all Gentiles will be saved, everyone, everywhere, but I think there's, there's this full number, maybe kind of like this remnant chosen by grace, a remnant, a number known only to God himself, still though chosen by grace, but this, how much more this? So what it does say here is that God is not done with his people, in particular Israel. Whatever the how much more, I don't know how to explain that more, think on that more, but there's much more. It goes beyond the riches that are going to the Gentiles. And so Paul, I think, is tasking us, his readers, tasking us to think on what does it mean for Israel to embrace Christ, the people, the flesh, his his own brothers in the flesh, as he calls them. What does that mean? And how much better that is. So rather than reject Israel as kind of a foregone, as a loss, we ought to hope 
and pray for their full inclusion. Paul prays for them. And I think to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ would be us to pray for them. So should we. Well, as we transition out, verses 13 then through 16, you're going to see some of these themes continue. Look at the first two verses. Again, 13 and 14. Paul says, "Now Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So Paul, now again, he seems to narrow down to the Gentiles. Yes, he's an apostle to them. He's to proclaim the gospel to the nations. That part is not in question. That's, that's what his calling is. But he also has another motivation in his, this Gentile ministry of Paul, and it's the salvation of Israel. And here Paul, I think more in verse 14, he lays out kind of two purposes related to this magnified ministry to the Gentiles. Number one is to make Israel jealous. And then the, maybe purpose number two or the result of that is their own uh, salvation. To make Israel jealous. Again, that's the second time we've seen that. We saw that in verse 11. So as to make Israel jealous, we see it now in verse 14. In order to make my fellow Jews jealous. And it's worth thinking about this a little bit. How does this work? What's the plan here? How does Paul's ministry to the Gentiles make Israel jealous as we try to wrestle with that? A couple thoughts came to, came to mind to see here. Num- number one, just to make sure we understand, Paul's ministry is authentic, both to Jew and Gentile. He's authentic. Maybe, what, maybe it just pops in my mind, but Maybe you picture Paul just preaching to the Gentiles, you know, and, and there's some Jews gathered around, and he's preaching to them. His gospel is to them, but he's, he's really hoping these guys listen in. He really not, doesn't care about this audience. He just wants them to listen in. I don't think that's Paul. I don't think he's kind of just watching, waiting for Israel. But he's saying, as I'm magnifying this, so it's also doing this. It's not a this or this. It's, it's all this. I don't think he's being inauthentic with his ministry to the Gentiles. But number two, this whole jealousy thing of Israel, this isn't Paul's idea, remember? It's not his plan, it's God's. This inscrutable ways, God, this is his working, his plan. It's not new with Paul. Moses wrote God's plan way back in Deuteronomy 32. Remember this? We, we looked at it before here in, in one of these uh, passages. They have... It says, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous. This is God. I will make these people jealous with those who are no people. We kind of looked at those as the, the Gentiles, the, the not a people. people. He says, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So it's not Paul's idea here, this jealousy. It's God's. But, number three, jealousy doesn't always equal conversion. Numerous times in Acts, again, jealousy, the jealousy of the Jews does not lead to repentance. It actually leads to violence to those embracing Christ, and you see that in more than one place. But our good buddy Webster, Webster from 1828, is helpful here. When we think of what jealousy looks like and how we might see that in Paul's making jealous the the Jews, that they might be saved. Webster defines it, I'll read part of this, he says, of jealousy. 
that it's that passion of peculiar uneasiness which arises from the fear that a rival may rob us of the affection of the one whom we love. Or the suspicion that he already has done it. Or it is the uneasiness which arises from the fear that another does or will enjoy some advantage which we desire for ourselves. Somebody else is going to get this. We want it ourselves. In short, jealousy is awakened by whatever may exalt others or give them pleasures and advantages which we desire for ourselves. Jealousy is nearly allied to envy, for jealousy, before a good is lost by ourselves, is converted into envy after it is obtained by others. Maybe that's helpful to think of jealousy. And who's the biggest rival to the Jews' exclusive relationship with God? This is the God who gave, they got the law, they got the covenant, the promise, it's, it's them. Who's, what's the rival? It's the nations. Nations, Gentiles, I think interchangeable words here. Gentiles, but either one. So the Jews had this law. They had the adoption, again, covenants. How appalling, maybe how jealous it ought to make them when God turns to shower his grace upon the nations. Remember just briefly Israel's relationship with the nations. A couple brief snippets. Remember they had no dealings with the Samaritans, we read. They consider them unclean. In the book of Matthew, Jesus seems to use the Jewish designation for others than the Jew, others than Israel as dogs. And Peter says to Cornelius in his house in Acts chapter 10, you know, Gentiles, says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. That's helpful to understand the differences there and how they viewed, how the Jew would view the Gentile. And yet imagine now what's going on. Salvation is going to these very people, these despised people. God would demonstrate His love. He would save a people who were not a people for Himself. And then through this, sovereignly draw Israel to Himself through their jealousy of just what these Gentiles had. And that's Paul's goal. That's the goal in this is Israel's salvation. Uh, We read there 14, and thus save some of them. It doesn't actually mean Paul is doing the saving. He's not the Savior. Doug Moo writes, when Paul says that I might save some of them, he means that it would be through his preaching that God would bring salvation. Preaching, proclaiming the means of that. We don't save anybody, but we bring the message. And in that sense, there's a saving of people through that message. Paul doesn't seem to expect all here, but rather some, to save some of them. It's indefinite. It's not a definite amount. And so questions might come. How many? Or when? And they may not be clear. Maybe they'll get clearer as we go through chapter 11 here. But I wonder here if Paul is not trying to urge those Gentile believers by saying, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Don't disparage the preaching of the gospel to the Jew. Don't despise them. Don't look down on them for their failure and trespass alone. Consider what their fulfillment may mean for the world at large. We'll talk about this, but 
This is Paul's attitude towards a people that often would persecute him. It's quite, a, quite an attitude to have as he still wants to see their salvation. All right, well, that fulfillment comes up again in verse 15. Verse 15, where it says, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And here is where your preacher is honest with, hopefully I'm honest with you all the time, but these are pretty challenging verses, 15 and 16. I'll share what I've found, what I can reason, but there's questions in here. You might have them as we read over them. One question I had right off the bat, their rejection. What is this rejection and acceptance about? Is this God's rejecting and accepting of Israel, or is this Israel's rejection of God and Israel's accepting God? Uh, many commentators would see that this is God uh, rejecting. If so where it says, for if their rejection, or you could put, if their rejection by God means the reconciliation, what will their acceptance by God mean? And I don't, it's hard to discount that view. I think that's, God is at work there. But the context, again, if we just go with context, it seems that, that uh, the context is focused on Israel's trespass, their failure, their rejection of the Messiah. So it's hard not to see Israel as the one rejecting and accepting God, even though we would say God is sovereign in those things as well. To me, the first part of verse 15 seems, again, like we hear echoes, if you've been Tracking along here, echoes of verse 11 through 12. So there's Israel's rejection, either by them or by God. Not sure, either way. Their rejection is reconciliation in Christ to the world. Reconciliation comes to the the world, where the message of the gospel is being proclaimed. But what about that second part, that, that acceptance? What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And for all that I struggle here to understand what's going on, we can certainly say, who gives life to the dead? Who does that? That's God in Christ by the power of his gospel. Paul says back in one, uh, Romans 1, not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. So there's life, and it's God who makes spiritually alive what was dead. And here I think, back referencing verse 12, Paul's kind of, Maybe trying to fill in here a little bit. What does the how much more mean? And I'm just unclear as to all of what it means other than this. How much more life out of death comes even as Israel embraces Christ and is saved. It's a how much more. and How much more the glory of Christ. And so we come to verse 16. And we've got dough and lumps. Uh, first fruits. We've got roots. And we've got branches. Here's what it says. Remember, if the dough offered as, fruits, fruit, as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, in here, there is more than one opinion on what Paul is referencing and what he's talking about. I'm going to let Doug Moose speak for a bit. Maybe it's helpful here and then try to bring that around. Doug Moose says, Paul does not so clearly identify the root. I agree. What, what root's going on here? Help us. And this, he says, this has given scope to various suggestions, including Christ. Certainly Christ is the root of our, the foundation of our salvation. 
or maybe Jewish Christians, the remnant, and or or the patriarchs, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. He says, but the last of these patriarchs receives decisive support, to me not so decisive but helpful, from the imagery of verses 17 through 18, the somewhat parallel concept in verse 28, where God loves Israel because of the fathers. And then he says this, an interesting, I think this would take us understanding some Jewish texts, Jewish texts in which Abraham and the patriarchs are called a root. And so that seems to be the prevailing view. Again, I'm at a loss at this point just to, I don't want to share something. Here's what it is. I, I would love to be that. That's my desire. I want to be in the flesh, right? Selfish. I want to be the expert. Here, well, here's what this means. You're struggling? I know what this means. I, I'm not sure. What, it, what does it mean? Remember, what's, the, what's our base? It's God's Word. Is it true? Yes. Do we understand it totally? Maybe hazy? Maybe in time? Maybe in five years? doesn't mean stop working at it, stop seeking to understand what it is here. But I think context, for me, the context here would say this is a picture of what's, what's the part that's influencing the whole. The part that influences the whole. So the first fruits of dough to the whole lump. The root holiness to the branches. If Israel, to me, if Israel, the people are saved, what of the rest of the dough or what of the rest of the, the tree? And maybe here I'm thinking of Israel as the root. That just doesn't hold up great as you get into the next section and you kind of hear my, my back and forth here. But what at this point seems most clear, at least in this passage, Israel has not completely fallen. And if their rejection means riches for the world, what will their acceptance mean? And here, as they are made holy by faith, a righteousness by faith, we could say Romans 4 like that of Abraham, like Abraham's faith, so they influence the rest of the lump or the rest of the tree. And so here again, I just rest content. God, well, maybe not so content, but I need to be content. God in his time will give clarity. We rest in him as we come to these passages that thankfully at the end of all this, Paul says how inscrutable are his ways. We can trust him though. All right, that said, if you're still with me, I just want to offer a couple takeaways, just a couple applications from this section. You can study it more, look this up, search the scriptures. Number one, four of these. Number one, be slow to write off as lost those who seem to reject the Lord. Be slow to write them off. Is it ever too late for salvation? Maybe it's a loved one, someone you have determined Hopeless case, this one. Can it be more hopeless than Israel who would say to the Messiah, crucify him? And yet there's grace and salvation for those who, all who repent and believe. It's a work of God, that is sure. But even here we see glimpses of the sovereign hand of God in and through a trespassing Israel, not counting their trespasses and saying that's a good thing, but God working in all these ways to save his own. Be slow to write them off as lost who seem to reject the Lord. Number two, step back, as I mentioned, and ponder Paul's attitude towards his fellow Jew. Just again, reference it. Uh, wish I could, 
lay out the chapters for you in Acts, but just think of the places in Acts where we read Paul going from this place to the next, preaching Christ, preaching of Jesus, seeing some come to the Lord, and seeing others just of the Jews get jealous and really turn that into persecution. And yet, here is grace in Paul. Paul maybe thought, did they stumble? They ought to have fallen by now. He didn't. He loved his fellow Jew. He, he magnified his ministry that they might be saved. There's a, there's a lesson there for us. There's grace there to still speak of the is, riches of uh, Christ coming to Israel. And so I think it's an attitude to imitate amongst our own, our own enemies even. Number three, we ought to pray for Israel as a people. Israel's salvation, seeking Christ, it is for the gain of of the world, as Israel, as a people, as an ethnic group, come to know Christ, so that is good and gain for the world. And so we can pray for them. Yes, pray as a, as a country they are in the midst of a hostile Middle East land that they're in, but I think more so the prayer would be that they would not reject the Messiah, the Christ, the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, but they would have eyes and hearts to embrace Christ, to be granted life in Christ. And then number four, just personally for you, thinking about Paul's magnified ministry to the Gentiles, that Israel might be jealous. The convicting question for each of us is, who are you making jealous? I don't mean that in a sinful, in a bad way. It's just convicting to think about our own lives. Would someone, this is the question, would someone be jealous for your relationship with Christ if they knew you? Does some, can someone look at your life and go, man, there's, just, there's a peace, there's a hope in Christ, there's a joy in Christ? I, I can't answer that real well. There's times where I think people look, look at my life and go, I don't think he seems very joyful or very at peace. I, maybe I don't want what he has. That, that idea of jealousy. Can people see what you have? I don't, I'm not... Uh, tasking us to kind of be fake and I'm just great in Christ. Aren't you jealous? Kind of fake. We need God's help. A real love for Christ that just oozes out of us. People go, what, what is this peace? Because in this world, I don't know this type of peace like what you have. May that light of Christ just ooze from us. Love the enemies. Ooze out the love of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I just come to you, Lord, in the midst of, we understand some of this passage. I want to think maybe others in this room even understand some of these, the dough first fruits even more. Lord, there's an understanding of the culture of the time. More time could be spent digging. Father, just again, thank you. We have your word. Lord, may we bless you. May we praise your name, whether we understand it all or not. But Lord, what we do understand what we have read, what you have enlightened us today in our own hearts. Maybe it's one particular phrase in this passage, a phrase of trespasses or a phrase of unbelief or stumbling or riches in Christ or on and on. Lord, that you would use that in our lives to grow our love for you, Jesus. Would you help us? Would you help us to be a people that the world, we know the world in sin, 
It's, it's a narrow way to walk with Christ. It's not, it's not droves and droves of people. But Lord, would you help us to love you in such a way that our lives would ooze out thankfulness, worship, a joy in Christ, a satisfaction, a contentment. I'm just content with my week. I'm content with my day. Why? Because you're my Savior, and I have eternity. What do I not have that you've given me? May we be that kind of people, and that that would be so winsome that others would come to know you, that we may not be fake in that. Help us to be authentic and real in our love for you and what you show us in your word about your Savior, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that any in this room that are jealous of that type of peace and forgiveness, today would be the day of salvation for them, to repent of sin, repent of trespass, and turn by faith to you, Christ, and look to you as the Savior who has died on the cross, a substitute in place of sinners, that we might live with you as you are raised from the dead. Guide us in this. Bless us as we go, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.